Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. My very special guest today is acclaimed poet Sophia Nas. Her newest book is titled Open Zero. Open Zero was written after the destruction of her home during the catastrophic California wildfires of 2017. Almost everything was destroyed in the blaze. The book Open Zero is a testament to resilience and the power of language to transcend loss by creating an edifice of lasting beauty. Hello, Sophia. Hello, Michael. Do you know that it was very difficult for me to even think about a catastrophic fire in terms of losing everything? That in itself sent me almost into a tizzy. So I don't know how you feel right now, but it's just difficult for me to even mention it. I think that, yes, it was an extremely difficult period of my life. And, I mean, uh, what one doesn't – there's immediate uh, loss. Uh, you know, there's immediate grief, but then loss is, a, is another uh, thing that is triggered uh, that that comes later because I think the difference between grief and loss is that grief is is immediate and loss is processing. And the sense of loss um, triggered a lot of introspection in me, and I started thinking about not just my own loss, but you know, loss. Um, of many things, you know, climate crisis, collective uh, losses of freedom and losses of dignity. So the book is, at one level, it's about uh, my loss, but on another level, it's about um, thinking about the nature of loss in general. And uh, yes, (laughs) this, this is how I can sum it up, but I think uh, it's best if I just read from the book. Yes, I'd like that very much. So let's, let's begin this journey together, Sophia. Please share. Okay. All right. The first poem is called Mother Tongues. Take off your shoes outside the shrine where ghosts of the mother tongues reside alongside Lamps of extinguished geography. Should I gauze this Taka muslin today? Say, mal, mal, glaze the homonym hymn in Kabir's cadence over an earthen plot of amputated thumbs. Fork and west, pour from the cleft, mandible as tomb, sanctum sanctorum, Womb of wombs, mother tongues ferment. Matroshka dolls, each within another, mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, till the last part, God, embedded seed syllable wails. Ma, mother of memory, heal me, and make my prosaic days of bricks 
cold groups, malware, endless fishes, click by click, the dick pics, box me in. Anarchally, sentenced to snark alley by thy blind emperor, autocorrect. The walls, the walls are closing in, transfixed on a selfie stick. Mother of memory, Ma, reveal me a heaving loom, the greater grid buried in these lines. Electrify a thousandfold suns in the mouth of every silence. And this next poem is a tribute to the artist Serena who passed away last year. She's been a major influence in my work. For those of you who are not familiar with her, she was born Zarina Hashmi in Aligarh, India in 1937. Zarina lived and worked for a number of years in New York, and she's most known for her minimalist work, which is a constant evocation of the home that she lost due to partition in India. My poem references her woodblock print, paper like skin, which depicts a thin black line meandering upwards across a white background. To the average Western viewer, it appears as a completely abstract painting, but if you're from India or Pakistan, you will recognize it immediately as the borderline between the two countries. Skin like paper. Everything unsaid, condensed in that jagged line, featureless on both sides of the divide that compels to him as children freehand, spoon-fed memory from the pot of royal blue. India ink splotches all over the map, fresh blood, a smell that clings to paper like skin. Line that thick rag paper yielded, supine below a lover's nails, raw earth, succession of severed witness fingers, line we swallowed like a sword, drew out, blackened from alembic, some called Alice, others parallel bars of a cage destined to run the length of a life yet never knew. What is home? Only the moon is sky-clad. For the rest of us, toil, the flapping wings far away out of the And shortly after the fire, we... uh, started living in a trailer on our land, um, and this one is called Trailer Blues. The guy on call who tried to fix each successive ailment, himself a decrepit 56, dismissed the body. It's crap, he said. Just thick cardboard and glue. These walls will fall Sure as that travesty went down in Berlin, 91, no pickaxe needed, 
They churned them out like turds, those pricks in Indiana, so cheap they might as well turn cricks. That's 126 with tax, he smiled. See you next time, miss. After he left, a morose code on tap kept the dad running all night alongside pitter-patter of marauding critters. Morning, popped up the cup, unwelcoming ghost, bird of prey, gray shawls bloated on easy pickings. All this mill for grist of lineage, yet the gist, absent from the list, a swallow remains undigested. Back to you, Michael. All right. Thank you, Sophia. You know, I was thinking about your second poem, and I know from my reading that the partition for many people was also like a fire, but people lost everything. Absolutely. Uh, the partition was not only the largest uh, migration of uh, the largest population shift in the history of the world. Um, mm. One to 1. 1.5 million people died in the partition, and yes, they lost everything. And the difference with the partition and other disastrous events is that the repercussions of the partition continue and adversely and disastrously impact the lives of, you know, nearly 2 billion people to this day. You know, the two countries are still, you know, perpetually hostile, they're nuclear armed, and the yes. people just suffer on a daily basis because it's, it's created a living hell that continues to this day. And and if you are from the subcontinent, you will know exactly what I mean because, you know, it continues to this day, which is, you know, why I continue to write about it. Wow. Hmm. Has a poem ever humbled or frightened you, Sophia? Absolutely. Um, I mean... You know, one has a different relationship to one's own poetry, but uh, yes. in uh, the subcontinent, poetry as a whole plays uh, a huge part of our daily lives, um, our culture, and there are poems. Uh, there's actually a poem written by a poet called Fez Ahmed Fez. He wrote it on the eve of partition and I recite it and I listen to it uh, every year uh, on mm -hmm. the anniversary and it it is an extremely humbling poem because here's a poet that on the eve of partition on the exact moment when there was so much uh, celebration and also killing everything was bizarrely amplified and he wrote that, you know, this is not the dawn we're waiting for. We have to continue. So, yes, on that note, I guess I should continue. Yes, so, please continue. Um, I will, uh, the next poem is called The Last Beekeeper. Bees 
are living in my eyes. They feed on my tears all day and through the cold black night. I can hear them buzzing as they mill my dreams to honey, hum incessantly in the rag reserved for species on the brink of extinction. I blink the bleak milk bath lacrimose to the core at the thought of being this ocular cave hole, last recourse of Atis mellifera, sweltering belly to melting pole. So that was actually inspired by a piece of news I read, which uh, said that there was a they discovered that a woman went to the eye doctor in Korea and they found bees living in their eyes. And, oh. uh, this one. This wow. next one is called Aftermath. And it was written um, pretty much immediately after I lost my home. The calculus that what's beyond the hill must be left at memory's table. A feast not meant to be eaten, but pierced at the precise point which leads smoothly into the needle's nose, hugs the thread snuck, so thought, flushed out, desiccates, but doesn't fall like meat, tendering a resignation. The trees are bereft of berries now. You would have paused to pick them, grasping at branches just beyond your reach, and knees would bruise, ripe as a summer's peach, disappears, leaving only a sunset stain in the corner of sky's wordless mouth. Fall's moist mist almost dissipated. Only wisps of stubborn weed cling to the hillside, feathers ostrich brown, akin to you whose head swims in the sand. The drought has dealt you well. You dwell in doubts. The hill still beckons almost Against your will, you are walking. Woodpeckers on tap to open up the trap doors, char as far as the eye can roam. Sinew of auburn manzanitas, burned and hacked to pieces. Reel after reel, you can't unsee the forest's depth. A silent movie plays on, the orchestra, a hollow pump, fist of an organ, thumping on and on. You walk to the top, the slope abruptly condescending. The price extracted in perspiration's penance paid you richly in coin. In kind, you preened the plumes as a peacock dancing in the game 
scatter a myriad eyes. Their blue, made not of borrowed pigment, but out of bent light, reflecting ways of seeing nothing, multiplying a hall of mirrors and a single flame. The last house on a dead-end road would rise up to fill your eyes. First, the roundabout, full with aloe and well-fed quills of succulents. Then the porch, overhung with ivy so thick, even envy would pale away like winter sun. Standing, shining, where it once stood, where you stand, on scarred earth, scabbed into scrub, as if after many blows a giant had fallen, and through his maws you saw the valley yawn wide, felt something give as the waters rushed in. Um, this next poem is called Hands. If your hands could smell, you'd be an octopus. Every surface sent a million stories. The stealthy stickiness of slugs would seek epics in the drama of the underbrush. Melting stalagmites show and tell in your digits, earth as memnozony. If your hands could smell, the suck of subway cars would stop you, dead in your tracks to decode teeming conduits lighting up new skis on your fingers, you built newborn bouquets, archaic utter. Each night, etymology of odor would allure you, greedy as Prometheus, but unable to steal the summer of a firefly, the distant musk of a star. If your hands could smell, you'd speak in canine. Each pole and passing bush whisper, each sniff, you'd get the snitch of neighborhood carousing in high fidelity. Until, weary of invisible graffiti, scroll of metropolis unfolding in endless olfactory braille, you'd head for the woods hoping trees were not such talkers, or at least would shoot the breeze between sentences. How long did you walk? It's hard to tell, but when you fell, palms down, cupped hollow as a flute upon the ground, you understood how the void makes music possible. And history had it wrong. It was not earth for war witness. It was your hand all along. Over to you, Michael. <laughs> oh, you know, I, to be quite honest with you, 
I feel uncomfortable asking you questions because I don't want to be triggering. Is this cathartic to be able to share your work like this? Absolutely. I Tell me more. As, <laughs> as a writer, I feel that writing, uh, I write to avenge loss. I've always written to avenge loss. Writing is an act wow. that can reclaim what is gone. I mean, I lost everything, but everything is still here in my head. And then when it goes from my head on the paper, it becomes another thing. You know, there mm. was a, a famous disciple of uh, the Japanese Zen poet called uh, Basho. And his uh, disciple, I forget his name, but he said something to the tune of, oh, now my barn has gone. I have a, a better view of the moon. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that something leaves, but it leaves uh, room to think. I think that is what loss, uh, what losing everything makes a space. And it makes you contemplate what has lost. And then, as John Muir said, if you target any one thing, you find that it's connected to everything else. So mm-hmm. uh, the physical thing cannot come back. What uh, does happen is uh, you're able to write. In a way, the, I, I had to think of loss as a gift. And the gift were, right. was these poems. And I think, um, you know, that it certainly changes your perspective on everything. Well, you know, it's funny. I felt that the poem about the hands was relatively lighthearted and breezy. And I thought, well, hey, she's able to include lighthearted and breezy pieces in her work as well, which I felt was important. Yes. You know, the breeze, there's a lot of breeze because the building that was blocking the breeze is gone. <laughs> Same thing, you know. You have to. Yes. I, I think, yes, um, life goes on. And uh, yes, it does. I thought about hands and, you know, we, there's a lot of, uh, we, have, we focus a lot on hands in the pandemic. We've been obsessively washing yes. our hands and. Yes, um, yes. Yes. I, you have to have fun. Uh, after all, a thing is just a thing, and we're mm. alive. And many people have lost much worse than a thing. They've lost yes. loved ones. They've lost life. Yes. They've lost dignity. And you know, these are all these are all greater losses, in my opinion, than a thing. You know, so. Okay. Um, I'm actually uh, speaking of things. I want to read. My next poem is about uh, a flower, and it is called Energy for a Sunflower. Thousand-eyed one, yellow with longing, you tilt your head, gazing on the beloved, her mouth of arms. Slow ripening kisses set you aflame. The master's mandala spinning sacred geometry. Sunflower, supplicant who earned a name as Rumi, inseparable from Shams, 
bride of seeds, the world wedded you. Made hollow, you sway in the slightest breeze. Emptiness, hmm. the shell that holds everything else. Parrots talk and talk. So, um, this uh, next poem is called Arise Slowly. I saw a bird at sundown perched atop the burned redwood where limbs fell away, leaving soul etude, point of trunk, reservoir, unspooling. Yarn that tangles songs in Urdu is pakar, string of notes to catch signature loop of a rock, making lips akin to hands, grabbing meaning by the throat, tap root to tongue earth. I wonder if she can sense tree pulse, barely perceptible, continuous hum of rhizome lungs underneath. Ustad said everything has a note. All that is needed is to train ears to flower. Petals of song, gypsy night, winds in her hair, taking her own time to feed hunger. Waiting until I've leaned my plate Clean as a mirror, ready to picture the world, her endless music. And this one is called Nepenthe. Are you brood of blood-red poppies or steep of deep opiate sea? My life's on the line, the urge to dredge up the dirge, millstones in single file. Yet, like Deathis, you are never done, Gordian, accordion, knot of ocean, history, curdling the future, in sum, I am, aftermath of partition, word slide, Clotted grief, oblate of sheath and throat, hemmed in. Neat couplets to the dark pitcher. <laughs> Will you turn me into larval stew of sorrow syllables? Witness fingers mute as damp matchsticks. Tossed in your vegetal carnivore belly. Why shouldn't seductive nectar only quell hapless flies. Let me slake once and for all this thirst. Make a last red octagon tentacle sign where streets with no address pin down place names in waters flown, fold migrant wings, flesh palms to bid fond 
and final farewell at land's end come assault to rim be drunk over to you Michael alright let's take a brief break and we'll be right back okay I realized I had been weighed down for many 
with many things that I hadn't even expressed or that were yes. at the back of my subconscious. And oh, writing Open Zero brought them to the fore. I uh, wrote about many, many things that were, you know, sometimes I wrote about traumatic events that were, you know, 40 years in the past, you know, when I was a little mm-hmm. child, you know. So in that way, it, it's been a tremendous journey, uh, you know, to write this 100-page <laughs> manuscript. <laughs> it was a lot, oh, wow. you know. Wow. Yeah. How, how did you know that you were finished, that you had done what you needed to do? How did you know that the project was finished? I think, um, well, Open Zero is my fourth collection of poetry. So at yes. a certain point, uh, you feel like, uh, okay, you do have a sense that this is, this is what I have to say. You know, this is all that can be contained in this one book. I don't think I'm ever done with, one is never done with the project of writing I write every day. But um, mm. I think in terms of what one can say um, in one book, like I hadn't, I felt that I didn't leave anything unsaid. And at that okay. point, right, it's then. a good time to stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> hey, it's time for some more poems, Sophia. So please share. Yes. Please favor us. So, Yes. This next poem is called, it's actually a tribute, um, speaking of loss, this is a tribute to my father, whom I lost at the age of 29 when he died of cancer. And it's called Nahuda, or Sea Captain. Part one, Fountain Pen. The fountain pen was like him, an extrovert prone to spilling seas above a sinking breast pocket, heart grown a blue rose. A thorn pitched in the belly of a grundit, scratched an itch on a mane of dense concentric rings, glossy as black oiled hair. In his hands, the thorn would step delicately in, a circular sea voyage begin again. The gate of a god, love convulsed as a fish bereft of water. An invitation to the beloved to take up residence underneath one's eyelids. When they had shed their pollen, the talismans were neatly stored, standing up, sleeve and sleeve. Everything began with water. Eyes, love, death, life, all swaddled in Jal, Sagar, Samandar, Siahi. Even the meter of the Ghazal, Beher, emanated from Beher. See, after he was let go, unmoored, a drowning, with your little girl's hand, you try to fashion a boat out of scrap paper, chipped teacups, reed placemats, even your own shriveling hands. Nothing floats. <clears throat> Rhythm. No matter what time of the day you touched Remington's body, 
It was a cold olive green. Yes, quite unequivocally, the machine that made words was male and the ribbon that fed it female. Was ribbon a derivative of rib as taken from one frail body and made to order? Rib in, softening the blows of metal punching the defenseless sheet. Years later, after he died, there were 15 metal trunks of paper to go through, some 50 years of his writing life. Your hands trembled like Jonah standing at the mouth of the whale. Three, paper. Hold them up to the light and they quiver as if a shaman was breathing on them. The typewritten pages with their visceral analog surface, whispers of whiskers, where the metal left just a faint after image of itself. The ones that actually flew out of your hands like butterflies were his favorites. Aerograms of onion skins, the lightest paper ever invented. Pale skies where the birds of his hand lay nestled, shriveled, blue roses. This next one is called 33 Inuit Names of Snow. Light travels at 68,000 miles a second. Ergo, even as your lover's eyelash brushes your cheek, a glimmer has passed into dark, diurnal wells, where you go like village girls to draw water for these lines. When you wake from wetness, clocks are dismantling silence. Like taxidermists, they push pins into skies chameleon feather, mining the anemic belly of water. While you are dreaming of a deep silence, folded in the 33 Inuit names of snow. What is love if not something that alights on the tongue? Snow is the language of osmosis, the eons Old light swimming like eels in your veins. So, this next poem is a prose poem, and it's called Descanso for America. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Spanish word descanso, it's a um, spontaneous roadside Memorial for those who have died. Descanso for America. Here in silence are their names. They were just young pupils. Irises not yet widened into the giddy wingspan of butterflies. What is the weight of the human heart? Tibetans string up prayer flags and let the wind do the chanting. If you hung up every single picture from an abruptly truncated yearbook 
Their stories would be surgeons, cutting through false narratives, chanting the heart of the matter. The heart that is a fish swimming upstream, her hyphenate gills suck up the sludge 24-7 to write a discounsel for America. Place it like a pushpin on a calendar each day for 40 days and 40 nights and then begin again. No end to this Lent, not while water is a mortal sin, Tarzan's king and the incarcerated masses toil for 50 cents an hour in homegrown wet sweatshops, sewing seam after seam in the key of obscene sentencing. Immigrant heart, efficient even in exile, expert in the economies of loss, the rights and rights of the obliterated, ear as earth's labyrinth listening for crumbs, the color of an insult wedded to burning cheeks heard from birth, feel its hum and hammer heard like the ghosts of butchered bison. Before you climb this ladder, know it leads up to a manhole. Snakes are the limbs of every branch. Each bloom is thick in its own unique patent-pending way. Did you know your fingers are touching a spyglass at this very moment? You, who trust in the innocence of yellow discs plastered with heart-shaped eyes. Minders are standing by with blindfolds. Your eyes, who had grown up like strong yellow dandelions in the charring south, drowning in the tipping point by the yawning door of no return. Over to you, Michael. Oh, wow. (laughs) What do I say? Sophia, your work is sublime. How important is accessibility? Should one have to work hard to solve a poem? What's your thoughts on it? Well, my thoughts on accessibility are that uh, I feel that I would like uh, people uh, to be engaged with the language of a poem. I want you can write uh, an easy poem. You can uh, the p- person can read it and be done with it, right? Yes. The meaning is absolutely crystal clear at first reading. But I'm I think that the excess the in that not so readily accessible poetry is actually more democratic because when. Uh, you engage with a poem and you engage with the language and the meaning is not immediately comprehensible and crystal clear, you uh, think about the meaning and you give it a meaning of your own making. So the making of meaning, uh, there are multiple meanings. Your meaning may be different from my meaning. Yes. I, as a writer give you that power to make what you want out of my poetry. This is a more democratic way, in my opinion, 
of uh, sharing poetry because once I have written it, once it is on the printed page, it is up to you, you know, it's with the reader. It's giving you the power, you know. You can interpret it, and Mm -hmm. I'm perfectly fine with whatever you want to make out of that poem, right? So (laughs) it is a way of empowering the reader, you know. So I'm always uh, attracted to poetry that that deals with um, language in in a way that prose doesn't deal with language because prose is the instruction manual. Here is step one, step two, you know. It's the Mm -hmm. GPS Mm -hmm. instruction. It gets you from point A (laughs) to point B. Poetry is about the learning of language. It's about the branch that has fallen by the wayside that you wouldn't have noticed otherwise. Because... Beautifully stated. I like that. I like that, Sophia. (laughs) (laughs) Sophia, you are amazing. (laughs) You are so so lucid and clear. (laughs) (laughs) I always enjoy you on my program. (laughs) I really do. And you have the perfect voice for reading poetry. And I may have asked you this question before, but I'll ask it again. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Uh, well, um, I, I do have uh, a little bit of background in the radio. When I was young, um, I somehow a friend of my father's was in the radio, and I got signed up to read the news. <laughs> it was about this. Oh, did you? <laughs> so, I knew there was something going on. I knew there was something. <laughs> <laughs> and at, in my 20s, I also, um, by sheer chance, I was discovered by a playwright called Bina Sharif, and she said, I need you in my play. And I said, I've never acted before. And she said, it doesn't matter. I know you're going to be great. So I was in the theater briefly. So those are the two little bit of experience with the spoken word. Okay. That's where you come from. All right. All right. All right. Um, Wow. We're uh, almost uh, at 15, 16 minutes. I want to read some more. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'd love it. So great. Um, this, this is called uh, Wish Fulfilling Tree. I dreamed a tree at river's edge, grand mother load of shade, and I, a refugee, leafing through promise of a green country. Sueño, subtle pollen's kiss, entwined on limbs, Fragrant sigh, and I, my lover's creeper, yet reverie, succumbs, unable to become, wish-fulfilling, swelling tree. The fruit of labor pains too much, death by paper cuts close to bone. I lean on stuff of monsoon swings and songs. Memory, a tree, unrolling stone, lost heartbeats on a vinyl grove. Mother tree, mango breasts, father tree, stern sandal, wooden four, 
head under hand and snake to climb, booty, tree, God framing me, uncapped, walled, tree, as everything that's me, bursting into polyphony. What of these trumpet flowers? What of the fist-sized rose made blood? Tree at crossroads, loggerheads, rushing rapids, no arbol adentro, safe harbor or embankment, sharks on the cards default, falling seasons sound, dominoes murmur, waylay the wish-fulfilling tree alone, denuded of drapes like Draupadi would be, were she not wrapped in smug paternal. Azad darakhte hind, what a sham, what a shame, since when has a tree been free, stripped down, skeletal, sentinel, keeping vigil, beckoning butterflies, summoning immovable doves. And so just uh, a note on Azad darakhte hind, that is a actually a Latin uh, name of the neem tree, which translates into free tree of India. Oh, wow. So um, this next poem is called uh, Black Butterflies. Hmm. And it starts with a um, couplet of uh, Ghalib that I translated. Ghalib was a famous uh, Indian poet. Desolation, self-reflected, a glimpse of desert recalls home. Old habits die hard. And besides, this is the only tarmac where you can park. The rest, pockmarked, sipple of random scrub, scattered, makeshift drags across the gash. Only butterflies, black as armbands, come to visit. Seldom have you looked so long at naked earth, paced from one perimeter to another, standing on a ledge, growing old. Canyon mind is abyss, and eyes, abyss of everything that was. Enthrall to these absent walls that still persist, hook and nail, pins on a specimen long extinct. So this uh, next one is called Shorelines, seagull, aerial wave, whale of sandpaper, wind-borne thorn that flecks, synth of wrinkled blue. I stare, you swoop, all beak and call, far and near, in pinprick blinks, eclipse of eye. Seagull. White of blindness, a child hides in your cloak, 
leaving clues of chalk. Drop everything where it may fall. The light always comes from elsewhere, circling this paradox. Driftwood body, barnacle mind. Seagulls, sunflakes, milkwings, crumbling lily of morning fairies. Your ascent mirrors my arc of drowning, blood dusk to your albescent rose. What is flight but the opposite of birth, of weight? What is flight but the opposite of weight? You are a bird. I'm whittled, brittle bone, paper thin ice wilting on salt loom of ocean. All the feathers in the world, and yet the scales are tipped. The heart is a sinking ship. No need to mourn the turning of its clay, its churned and broken shells, the thin quicklime of, dream, of dreams dissolving in wreaths of spume. Fine. Okay. Over to you, Michael. All right. All right. I'm just. I have one left. I don't know if we have enough time or or. Yes, I've, I've got a, I've got a question. I've got one question for you first before we yes. go to the conclusion, because <laughs> I want to keep you all day. Um, <laughs> you've been writing. You've been writing all your life. Am I correct? Yes. You've been writing correct. poetry and prose. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? <laughs> revise, revise, and revise again. What looks great on the page often sounds terrible when you read it. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Hey, Sophia, where can listeners find your work? So uh, you can find uh, all my books on my website, which is www.sophianaz. So that's spelled S-O-P-H-I-A-N-A-Z dot com. And uh, yes, all my four collections of poetry, as well as my, um, I also wrote a nonfiction biography of my mother's life. Wow, beautiful. What is next in the works for you? What's next for you? I'm actually working on my, I'm actually um, working on my uh, next uh, book of uh, poems, which is called uh, tentatively, working title, Obsidian Heart. Okay. Because um, obsidian is a volcanic glass. So that is hopefully going to be out next year. We don't know, but let's see. All right. Well, let's end on a high note. Please share another poem. Okay. This is called The Lesson. Is something to be learned from loneliness? The curve of each day shot across the bow. Do neglected bouquets know that the heart is nothing like a rose? Both tropes so overused it bears repeating like twin petals of the beat itself. One, two, one, two, to score music 
of the four chambered means. Close those eyes, their bright windows to peruse a rhizome continuous, profuse, subterranean stem. The eye seeping seamlessly into them. Listen, there's a lovely violin to the east, red neckline of the rising sun, and standing still, still standing, relics of the elders, bay laurel, oak, redwood, manzanita, frozen in a paused narrative, retreating as touch-me-nots into winter, permanent char, staining time's elastic. At eleven, the mountains take off their cloud crowns. Lizards belie alliterations of nursery rhyme to do push-ups. Rise and fall, and then the love. Something breaks, and something bends. Where's the learning in all this? I leave the page open for you to guess. Thank you. Wow. Sophia, you are truly in a class by yourself. I want to thank, thank you, you so as always, for, for being with me. I enjoy you immensely. So I, I don't know what to say other than to our listening audience. I'm so glad you tuned in. Sophia Nas is truly Sophia Nas. What else can I say? So thank you. <laughs> Have a fantastic afternoon, and I will see everyone later. And as I share every week, let poetry ring throughout the land. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.